I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Rico Bronia time, and who knew we'd have so much Met news over the course of 24 hours? We got a lot to discuss on the podcast. Pete Alonso made a major agent change, leaks from the Mets organization concerning who wanted and didn't want to play Daniel Vogelback, a Craig Council update, and Pete Hoffman tweeted something very, very stupid. We'll get to all that. But I think the headline is Billy Epner at Billy Epler. I forget what I think I was going to call him an Epler. <laughs> Billy Epler is no longer the general manager of the New York Mets. And this comes in two parts. Part number one, a little after four o'clock, I was on the air with Tiki. You get the breaking news. Billy Epler is resigning, which you're surprised about. But then the other side of you says, well, he's about to become meaningless anyway. Who the hell cares? Which was my initial reaction. And then a few hours later, the conglomerate at the New York Post, like five writers, came together with an exclusive that Billy Epler is being investigated by Major League Baseball because of his usage of the Phantom IL. So, a couple of things. I'm on the Mets transaction wire. We should just play a game. We should go through every guy that went on the IL this year and try to find out which one was Fugazi. And which one was real? So let's start right at the beginning of the season. <clears throat> Here we go. We got some minor ones. We got Jose Quintana, 15-day IL. I think that one was real. We got Alicia Hernandez, shoulder strain. We barely saw him this year, if at all. I don't think we did. Uh, Bryce Montes de Oka, UCL. Okay, all legit so far. Steven Ridings, injured list. See, that one, didn't they have did, I think he had to make the team. I think he was out of options. So maybe that was a phantom one. Uh, Tyler McGill gets recalled. Justin Verlander, IL. Was that a phantom one when he missed the first month of the season? Tim LaCastro goes on the IL. I remember later was going on a rehab assignment, and we were even debating, hey, like, what the hell's going to happen with Tim LaCastro? Goes back on the IL. Uh-oh. Hoff, I think that one's suspicious, that Timmy LaCastro one. I think, I think we found the first one, yeah. <laughs> we got the first one. <laughs> Uh, Carlos Carrasco goes on the I.O. with elbow inflammation. Hmm. Maybe that was purposeful. Yeah. Yeah, that's an you, interesting you, one. You know, not for nothing. We, and then, Ev, you know this. It's the talk of the town. Find something to put them on the I.L. with, right? We could have found an I.L. spot for Vogelback, but we never did. But, like, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. We were yeah. just, just put them on the I.L. Now they actually run into it. 
So the the Phantom IL, obviously the Phantom DL back in the day, it's been going on forever. And we've, like you said, we've talked about it. Hey, this guy's struggling. Get him on the IL. Hey, this guy sucks. Bury him on the IL. So it's been going on for a while. I had read about a year or two ago that Major League Baseball really wanted to cut down on it. That Major League Baseball wanted guys only going on the IL when they were legitimately hurt. So is there truth to Billy Epler putting guys and shelving guys on the IL? Probably. I don't think there's any question. Is it a serious accusation, like a serious thing? Not really. That's why, to me, the resignation of him feels like misguided. It doesn't feel like it It fits the crime. You know, this wasn't a rampant problem, I don't think. Uh, so the whole thing is really strange to me. Really strange. Almost as if, like, Billy, I guess, was going to stay on and be a part of this front office, even if he had a lesser role. And him and David Stearns were, I weren't even going to say work together, but Billy was going to work for David Stearns. But it's almost as if, okay, this investigation is going on. It probably started recently because it feels like the Mets were blindsided based on the Cohen comments at the Stearns press conference about Billy and the fact that Billy's in the Met offices and they're about to work together. So it feels like an investigation that just started. It also feels like, you know what? I'm going to do this organization a favor. I'm not the real GM anyway around here. This will probably help me for my future endeavors, maybe to even rework for the Mets down the road. I'm just going to get out of their hair because now the Mets have a cover. Even if we don't think this is serious, and I don't think it's that serious, it's a new organization. You know what I mean? It's like any time something was said about Brody Van Wagenen or the Wilpons when they were gone, you know, even the serious allegations against Mickey Calloway and what the Mets knew, once there's a new administration in town, it's like, all right, well, Steve Cohen wasn't there. All right. Uh, the newer GMs, I don't even want to say Zach Scott and Jared Porter because they had their own issues. Sandy Alderson wasn't there, even though he did hire Mickey the first time. So I almost think it's a little bit of a cover where if you're the Mets and you're Steve Cohen, you could kind of shrug your shoulders right now and say, well, the manager's gone. The GM's gone. Not our problem. MLB can investigate all day, but those guys are gone. So I think that's a part of it. I'm just speculating here, a part of why it made sense for Billy just to get the hell out of here. Okay, that's that's great. All 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 good that Billy Billy's gone, but there's two things. First of all, I think it I think it's more serious than you're giving it because it's manipulation of the roster. It's a way that right now, you know, you use all those call ups and whatnot, you only have so many options, et cetera, et cetera. Put them on the IL and then we can figure out a way to now create space and create a different call up and not have to worry about like giving someone an option where we don't want to do it, right? Okay, so that's the first thing. Slash, there's still there might be repercussions. And it's not like, hey, Billy Epler is not part of the team anymore, but he was part of the Mets organization. So they're going to give the Mets the slap on or the, the, the fine or whatever it is. They're not going to give it to Billy. Well, the fine, who cares about? Steve's a billionaire. I would care about draft picks being taken away, and that would be a serious thing. Uh, you know what I jumped to, though? Where'd this come from? And I'm going to give you a little tinfoil conspiracy theory. Where did this come from? Because for the for Major League Baseball to be investigating Billy Epler and the Mets usage of the IL, when it seems like every team kind of does it to varying degrees, you jump to this thought of someone ratted the Mets out. Someone went to Major League Baseball and said, huh, what's going on here? And I think it's pretty obvious who my number one candidate would be. 
So I'll talk about a separate story. Then we'll get back to this story and we can all connect it together. Mike Puma, and I like Mike, but Mike clearly has some kind of relationship with the former manager of the New York Mets, Buck Showalter. Why, you ask? Well, number one, he prints a story from a day ago, fascinating one, might I add, about how Buck really didn't want to play Daniel Vogelback. Billy Epler forced him. Then, less than a day later, he goes out and tweets, according to a source, Buck Showalter is interested in the job managing the Los Angeles Angels. So it kind of feels like, and it's okay, like we all have sources. Some of us do. I don't have freaking sources. I'm a fan. I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you when my things are conspiracy theories. I'm going to BS you and say, I heard from a source, unless I actually have heard from a source, which is rare, but it happens. Um, Puma is telling you what Buck thinks. That report about Vogelback comes from Buck. And we'll get into that later, but clearly that comes from Buck. Then Buck's interest in the Angels comes from Buck, according to a source. Yeah, the source is Buck. So if Buck Showalter hmm, is not happy with Billy Epler and is trying to lay out, hey, I don't want to play Daniel Vogelback. That was Billy Epler's fault. Don't you think within 24 hours and now there's an investigation into IL usage, who would know about the IL usage more than the field manager? So tinfoil theory, Buck Showalter ratted Billy Epler out. Your thoughts? If that's the case, it's a little dirty from Buck. <laughs> now, listen, I don't don't get me wrong. I I, I said earlier, I think he got Sam. I think Buck Showalter got sandbagged by the Mets with the whole Vogelback stuff. I think that he's got he's been done dirty, like you said too. So it's like a little fight fire with fire, right? You know, you did me wrong. I'm gonna do you wrong. It's a little messed up, but you know what? I like Buck. I never really liked Billy Epler, so I fully support Buck Showalter if that's what he did. Buck and Billy have something in common. They both don't work for the New York Mets. And that's kind of a crazy statement considering a week ago that was not the case. And Buck and Billy a year ago were part of a Met team that won 101 games. I, I, I wonder where this investigation goes. Obviously, if you're right, that MLB is pissed and there are, I don't want to say severe penalties, but penalties that impact the Mets, then all of a sudden it's a big deal. Whether I think IL usage and manipulating it is a big deal or not, if you're taking away draft picks or something like that or international spending money, then it's a big deal. And then it's something that you say, oh, wow, this really affected this Met team moving forward. But my initial reaction when I heard Billy was resigning was something I had said before about David Stearns taking over, and I stand by this. While Billy may have remained with the organization and maybe he was going to have David Stearns' ear, He was never going to be someone we as fans ever talked about. This is now David Stearns' show. When we talk about signing Pete Alonso or trading Pete Alonso, it's David Stearns. When we talk about signing Yamamoto or not signing Yamamoto, it's David Stearns. And I liken this to a Knicks comparison where Scott Perry was their general manager. He was inherited by Leon Rose, who became their team president. And once Leon became the team president, you almost forgot Scott Perry was there. You almost forgot he existed. And all of a sudden, a year and a half later, Scott Perry resigns. You're like, really? He was still with the Knicks? And so whether Billy stayed or not, this is about David Stearns. David Stearns is running this team. 
So my initial reaction, and I still have it now, is whatever. Whatever if Billy Epler isn't around. David's going to bring in a lot of his own guys anyway. This is a new era of Met baseball. I hate when that's said because it's sort of depressing that we're beginning another new era of Met baseball. But here we are. And, And look, this is also why I really, really hope David's the answer. Because Billy Epler lasted less than two years. Jared Porter lasted months. Zach Scott couldn't get through a full season. And I don't even remember if Sandy Alderson was actually here or not. This is a franchise that under Steve Cohen, they've gone through executives like water. And I get why. Because all of those options were second choices. All of those options were not the guy. Like they liked Jared Porter and they liked Zach Scott and he liked Billy Epler, but he was always looking for the real team president. And Sandy Alderson was always going to be a temporary guy. And he got the guy he wanted, which I compliment Steve Cohen for. He got his guy. He had to wait a damn long time for it, but he got his guy. But the last few years as a Met fan, it's frustrating looking back on just the complete lack of stability this franchise has had. Years from now, will we look back on Billy Epler and pay him compliments? It's absolutely on the table. Because when you think about the Verlander and Scherzer trade, I want to frame this in the fairest way I can. That was about Steve Cohen. That was about the money of Steve Cohen. If those prospects hit, and they haven't yet, they're just prospects. If Luis Angel Acuna hits and becomes a legitimately good Major League Baseball player, doesn't even have to be a great Major League Baseball player, a good Major League Baseball player. If Drew Gilbert hits and is a good Major League Baseball player, and Ryan Clifford hits, and he's a good Major League Baseball player, then I think it will then be fair to say, yeah, they used the Steve Cohen money to entice teams to take Verlander and Scherzer. But wow, Billy Epler led the group that picked the right guys. That's the thing about those trades. And that's where we're going to define Billy Epler, by the way. We're going to define Billy Epler a lot on those trades. Because what else are we going to judge him on? I guess the last draft or two. But really, it's going to be those deals. And the way I look at those deals, and I think this is the fairest way to look at it, is for now, it's about Cohen. It's about the money he was willing to spend to buy prospects. But if those prospects don't hit, okay, great. He spent a lot of money for what? And that's what's on Billy Epler. Give Cohen credit for putting this franchise in position to buy prospects. And then we either give Epler credit down the road or kill him down the road for those prospects becoming something or becoming nothing. And so when we define Billy Epler's legacy, which is weird to think about, to me, it's going to be about those two trades. With that said, and the Robertson trade too. I don't want to ignore that. Like those guys hit, sure. We'll be doing the same thing. And I'd be the first one to give Billy Epler credit. But for now, what was Billy Epler in Met history? I've been using this phrase a lot lately because it's been applicable. And that is a fart in the wind. That's what his legacy is. I also equated Zach Wilson's four good drives to that, but I hope to be wrong. Like, these legacies can change. So, goodbye, Billy Epler. (laughs) Thank you for the time. Now, let's get to this Vogelback thing. Because even though Buck and Epler are both gone, this is still a really, really important thing. First of all, when it's reported by Puma, if you didn't see it, I'm sure every Met fan listening here to the Rico has seen it, Basically, what Puma reported, 
is that Buck didn't want to play Daniel Vogelback and that Billy Epler forced the playing of Vogelback on him. Number one, this came from Buck. I think we pretty much all assume that. Do you believe Buck Showalter? I do. And it's weird. Like, you may be thinking to yourself, well, why, Evan? And it doesn't do me any good. Because when we sat here on the Rico Bronia for months and months, I would continue to tell you what I honestly thought, which is Buck Showalter makes the lineups. I used to argue about that with Pete. I'd argue about it with anybody, whether it's the Yankees or the Mets. Buck Showalter and Aaron Boone get information. They get a lot of it. They get a lot of input from the front office. But I genuinely believe the managers, day in and day out, make the lineup. So I would criticize Buck Showalter for his inclusion of Daniel Vogelback. I wouldn't just, ah, it's the front office. No, I believed it was Buck. So for me to tell you I believe Buck shows you I'm believing something that doesn't benefit me. Because I could easily say it's not true. I was right the entire time. Here's why I believe Buck. I give you the specific reason. I think Buck clearly wants to clear his name. No doubt he still wants to manage. So I think there's a benefit to him putting this out there, but I don't think he's one to lie. This would be a lie if Buck Showalter went to the media and said something like, I was forced to play Vogelback and it wasn't the case. So number one, and I'll give you another reason. Number one, I don't think Buck Showalter's a liar. I don't. Number two, and I remember saying this to you, despite still believing Buck puts the lineup together, I would say, Pete, it doesn't make sense. In one breath, he talks about defense and versatility. And yet this guy continues to be on the roster and play all the time. And I would say to you, it doesn't fit what he's saying. He's saying I want guys who defend. He's saying I want guys who are versatile. He would put Vientos down essentially and say, well, you got to prove you can play defense. Meanwhile, Daniel Vogelback never played an inning of defense for the New York Mets. It never made sense. So A, I don't think Buck's a liar. And B, I don't think he's a hypocrite. I think maybe him making those comments without me realizing, and a lot of Mets fans realizing, was a cry for help. Was him saying, look, I don't want this guy playing. Look what I'm saying about the young guys. So choosing to believe Buck serves me no benefit whatsoever. I always just try to be genuine in what I'm believing. And I think he's telling the truth. What say you? No, I, I think I, I do believe Buck. I always had a soft spot for Buck, um, and this is something I've always told you. I think the manager today is just a face. They are the buffer between the team, the players, and the media. That's all they are, and they're there to say the right thing. And Buck, for the most part, for two years, said the right thing. I mean, he really did. And you could say that there were screams for help, but really he still defended the Vogelback. He defended everybody. He took the hits constantly, which is kind of why I'm pissed about this whole thing, because they did Buck wrong. They they truly did. From which aspect, though? From the aspect of forcing him to play Vogelback or from the aspect that he got fired? Uh, both. Both. The fact that he, he was forced to to do things that he didn't want to do, that nobody, everybody in the world didn't want Vogelback to play on a regular basis. And that's just, this is the part of the stubbornness of whether it's a Billy Epler thing or, and here's the do, deep dive. Is it Billy Epler saying you have to play this man or is it Billy Epler taking in information from his statisticians or his analytical department saying, hey, Vogelback's going to turn around. Is it the stubbornness? Like, hey, I'm proving you that this is the right move. Because listen, they bought out Robinson Cano. They bought out all these guys. 
Vogelback was a million dollars. They could have just bought the guy out, like well, get rid of him. Because it wasn't about the money. I mean, look, and 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 that's why when the other thought on this is, well, he wanted him to play a guy that he had acquired a year earlier. Remember, we gave up Colin Holderman to get him, and he wanted to prove himself right. The fight back on that is Darren Ruff, because Darren Ruff was not forced to play. Darren Ruff was gone before this season started, much to your surprise, much to a lot of Met fans' surprise. So maybe, hey, I can't admit two mistakes. I'll admit one mistake. I, honestly, the reasons for pushing Vogel back to me are irrelevant. Whether it's believing he was going to get hot, whether it's the analytics telling you whatever, it doesn't matter. The manager, to me, I get this is different. I get 2023 and 2024 is not 1985. I get Earl Weaver doesn't exist anymore for the most part, even though Bruce Bochy is managing against Dusty Baker in the American League Divisional Series. But I still believe, for the most part, yes, the manager will get a lot of information from upstairs, a lot of it, more information than ever but they still ultimately will decide who's in the lineup. I still think that's the majority. In this case, for whatever reason, they pushed Daniel Vogel back on him. And what it makes me reevaluate in terms of Buck's year this year is if I believe this happened, which I do, I'm telling you right now, I, I believe that story. I believe Buck's side of the story. One of my major critiques of Buck has now been thrown away. Now, there are other critiques of Buck's, uh, other other critiques of Buck, but that was the big one. The big one was this loyalty to Daniel Vogelback. Now, look, here, here's the truth now. We, have, we all have to admit, Buck's not here. Buck's not the manager anymore. And Billy Epler certainly is not here anymore, and he was never going to have the same power he had a year ago. This story now becomes a relic of the past, but here's why it's relevant, and here's why it still concerns me. What is David Stearns going to do with his new manager? Whether it's Craig Council or anybody else, will lineups and who plays and who doesn't play be dictated from the front office? Because ultimately the manager, while he should have discussions with the front office and collect more information than we ever had, they should still get to decide because a lot of it's feel, which I thought Buck had a, a good handle of. A lot of it is, this guy shouldn't play today. This guy should play today. You got to trust your manager to make those calls. And it does worry me that is David Stern's going to be as hands-on as apparently Billy Epler was with Buck. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is why I'm starting to lean that there's two options that are best fit for David Stearns. And it's guys that one guy I like, one guy I'm not a fan of or don't want to get hired. Uh, it's DeRosa and Beltron because they will be th the good faces and the good speaker. Well, at least DeRosa will be a good speaker, and Beltron has that connection, and he'll say what they want him to say. It's a good. It, it'll be a great fit because they'll be the the puppets. Well, no, no, the, the the perfect guy is Craig Council. He he is because 
I know it's not a perfect comparison. And I know the Giants are not having a great year this year. But the Shane Dable relationship fits. They've worked together in the past. They're going to be on the same page. Dave Gettleman wasn't going to be on the same page necessarily with Joe Judge. David Stearns and Craig Council have worked together. So while I have concern about being too hands-on, I would want the two parties, the field manager and the general manager, in this case, the team president, to at least think alike. So they're not butting heads. Whether I like the way they're thinking or not, that's irrelevant. Whether we like the way they're thinking or not, that's not the point. I want them to be on the same page. And there's no safer page than Craig Council and David Stearns. Craig Council is so the perfect fit. He, he is on every level. Yes, the Brewers got swept in the wild card series. I, I get that. And yes, I think he's won one postseason game in his last like nine tries or whatever it is. So the postseason success is not there other than that one run they made to the league championship series back in 18. They lost the seventh game. But he has been the manager of a team that's been a consistent regular season winner, which at this point I take. This is a franchise that has never been in the postseason more than back-to-back seasons. Two years in a row is where they they top out. So I'm not exactly turned off by Craig Council's really impressive nine-year resume because, you know what? It's not bad. And you know what Craig Council's done that this franchise that we root for has never done? They made the playoffs in more than two consecutive years. In fact, the answer, I know you're including 2020, which makes it a little clunky, four straight years. So I don't want to hear about ripping Craig Council's resume because his resume is something we don't have. We don't have that freaking resume. Well, he hasn't won a championship. Well, has this franchise won a championship? He's been a manager of a consistent winner. And yeah, I think the unity and being on the same page freaking matters. because. You know what bothers me more than just Daniel Vogelback playing when we don't want him to play? When one side doesn't want him to play and the other side does. Like, in this new franchise, if they hire counsel, and they will, you're not going to probably have that because of the connection that these two guys had from working together. So if anything, this story is just a reminder of I don't want David, as open-minded as it sounds, ooh, David Stern's hired someone he's never worked with. Great. Yeah, until the middle of May when they disagree on everything. And then we're looking for a new manager in one year because the the regular manager wasn't listening to the team president. Craig Council is a no-brainer, and I believe he's going to manage this team, and I've got no reason to believe he's going to manage this team. He's going to manage next year. John Heyman has now consistently reported that. He is not looking at a year off. That that's not happening. So he wanted to get to free agency, which he's about to get to as a manager. And Craig Council likes something in particular. He likes something that Pete Alonzo likes and that you like, Pete. He likes money. Really big fan of money. And when you're making $3.5 million a year, which is what Craig is making this year, it's a fine living. And you are now the hottest managerial free agent. You're going to make a lot more than that. So dumb question, Pete. What franchise has the most money to spend on anything? What team is that again? I forgot. It's not the Yankees. It's the Mets. It's the Mets. (laughs) Who has a managerial opening right now? Uh, The Mets. 
Right. So, and think about who also has managerial openings. Let's think about this. The Anaheim Angels, the San Francisco Giants. Okay. We'll see. We'll see what they do in the offseason. And the small market Cleveland Guardians. And then you've got the Brewers, potentially. If this is the competition we're talking about, and Craig Council's going to manage, like we take John's report and say, hey, he's clued in. Craig wants to manage in 2024. Well, then it's a two-team race. It's a race between the Mets and the Brewers. That's it. And if David Stearns wants Craig Council and tells Steve, boy, we're really going to have to spend on this manager. We're going to have to pay $8 million a year. Steve's probably going to crack up and say, $8 million? I'm paying garbage relievers $8 million. (laughs) Sure. Why not give them $9 million? So I am fully convinced that Craig Council is going to manage this team. And I'm good with it because I do want the manager and the team president to be on the same page because these kinds of stories, they not only suck because, A, we're annoyed that Daniel Vogelback was playing, but ideally for a healthy franchise, whether we like the way baseball's run now or not, you want everybody on the same page. And that's what you'd get. No, I, I listen, I, I understand that. I respect it. I, if that's how it goes, I'm okay with it. I am thinking, though. Now, I just I, I forget. I know that they got rid of, I believe, scouting department. Did mm-hmm. they change the analytical department as well as statistically? Like, there were some inner workings that they got rid of because that is more important than anything else that we have because like we just said if it's not coming from the manager it's coming from upstairs well who's upstairs besides david stearns well i think david stearns is going to install a lot of new people i mean i think we're going to see a lot of new people brought into this organization over the next couple of months i mean this is a big change that we're seeing you know so yeah i think the analytics department's going to look a lot different obviously based on who the manager is the coaching staff's going to be a lot different there's going to be a lot of new faces around There's just going to be a lot of changes coming with David Stearns. But keep an eye on the council thing. It'll be funny and interesting over the next few weeks because I do think the Mets are going to live by their word of having, quote, a wide search, even if they already know today their target is correct council. Like, I think they'll lean into we're interviewing a lot of different people. But ultimately, and I've been consistent about this, I'd be very surprised if correct council's not the guy. Let's get to Alonzo. Pete Alonzo switching agents and joining. Scott Boris, your first reaction, I think everyone's first reaction is to shudder. (laughs) The Boris group. And it is what it is with Scott Boris. He is the most evil, brilliant agent in Major League Baseball. But a couple of things we need to know about Scott Boris. More likely than not, Scott Boris will take his client to free agency. So that's the first tea leave we're we're reading and saying, oh, crap, there's not going to be an extension. Now, Pete's getting a free agency, assuming the Mets don't trade him. But that's not always the case. There are examples of Scott Boris signing extensions before free agency because he's not an idiot. And he knows, hey, if I get a really good offer and I'm not going to get a better offer than this, no matter what I'm telling my client, I think they can get them. I'll sign the extension. He did it with Jose Altuve. So it's been done before. Does it lessen the chance that Pete signs an extension during the offseason? Absolutely. No question. The chances of Pete signing an extension before opening day 2024 have gone down. They're not eliminated, but they've gone down. That's number one. Number two, I have certainly heard 
that the Mets don't like Scott Boris right now. That the fallout from the Carlos Correa deal was not like a mutual breakup. It was not, ah, you know, Scott, we love you. We'll make another deal with you down the road. A lot of the deals the Mets have made with Scott all occurred prior to the Carlos Correa thing breaking down. So I say that to you, and is that a concern? It's not because Scott Boris wants money, and Steve Cohen is a businessman. And good businessmen are not going to let a bad relationship, or what is at least right now, from what I'm hearing, not the greatest relationship, let things fall apart. So even if they're not as friendly as they were when Steve is like drunkenly making an offer for Carlos Correa, I'm joking, I don't think he was drunk, but you know what I mean, like hanging out, having a cocktail, doesn't mean they can't make a deal. That's number two. But here's number three, and this is the cold, hard reality. I always believed, rightfully so, that there was a chance Pete Alonzo would take a hometown discount. I believe that opportunity existed. I believe that opportunity is dead. That's gone. The hometown discount is gone now. Now it's business. And the Mets deserve part of that blame because the Mets made a contract offer to Pete Alonso. I've actually heard that. And I heard what it was. And it wasn't good. And it was never going to get the deal done. And things like that just, it, it pisses people off. It pisses these athletes off. Pete Alonso wasn't thrilled about that. And so when you factor that in with everyone else getting paid, like Lindor, like Brandon Nemo, even on short-term deals, like Max Scherzer, like Justin Verlander, yeah, that's why you fire your agent, whether they deserve it or not, and you hire Scott Boris. That's why you do that. So I think where we are in this is, I always said this is a negotiation, and this is kind of like a war between the Mets and Pete Alonso, and I don't know how it's going to end. Does it end with a peace treaty? Does it end with a trade? Does it end with, I don't know how the hell it ends, but this was another act in this war. When you go to Scott Boris, you're taking out the big weapons. So the hometown discount is dead. Does that mean Pete's gone? No, it doesn't mean he's gone. Because you know what this comes down to? The same thing it always came down to. Are the Mets going to pay him? And so far, the Mets have not shown that willingness. They haven't. Is there a reason for it? I don't know. Is it strictly business? Is it, hey, we like Pete, but not a high enough batting average. His war isn't great. His defense is okay. And we find him replaceable. That's probably it. It's probably this, this cold-hearted business decision. Will that always be the case? I think it's going to be the case throughout this offseason. Like, I think the idea of an extension right now feels remote. I mean, you never know, but it feels remote. I think this is going to be either a trade, which I am hoping dead against, obviously, or it's going to be sweating it out in a free agency where anything could happen because all you need is one owner. That's it. All you need is one owner to give Pete a contract that Steve Cohen and uh, David Stern say no. So Steve Cohen has the money. It's if he chooses to spend it on that player. So it's not about being cheap. It's about, again, smart businessman. Does he want to pay that to him? I know it's a different circumstance, but he decided not to make the big offer for Jacob DeGrom. He did. They made an offer, but they knew it was never going to be enough. So they let Jacob DeGrom go. 
You know, people love to just tell themselves, Jake wanted to leave, Jake wanted to leave, Jake wanted to leave. It's like a coping mechanism. That's not what happened. Like, you can continue to tell yourself that, but no, the Mets made a decision that we're not giving them a five-year deal. And guess what? They were right. Like, I'm not even killing them anymore. I was absolutely emotional about that a year ago. But they ultimately made the right business decision. Are they going to make a business decision with Pete Alonso? Yeah, the question is, is it going to be the one we want or not? But the Boris thing is not a death sentence. It's not the end of the world. It just means this war for a big-time contract, the heavy weapons have now been brought in. So buckle up. (laughs) With that said, they better not trade them because I don't see the return being worth it. I just don't. And secondly, like I've always said with your homegrown guys, if it turns into a bad contract, we will live with it. We lived with it with David Wright. And Pete Alonso has shown you no reason to believe he's going to break down. It would be a fluke if he broke down. And in his worst years where we kill him, and he hits 217, he hits 45 home runs and drives in 118 runs. And he gets better defensively every single year. If you actually watch the Mets, you know that. So I hope they get something done. But I think what this news did for me, Pete, it just reminded me that my hope should not be up for an extension getting done now. Because I think that's less likely today than it was two days ago. Yeah, dude, I'm the guy that's shivering in my boots right now. I'm scared. When you see Scott Boris, I see a couple things. A, it reminds me like, uh, you know, the fact that the last couple contracts, the Correa deal fell through. Is there bad blood there? Michael Conforto couldn't get a deal with the Mets. That fell through. So it, it, it really hasn't worked out recently. And I honestly don't remember the last big deal. I mean, was it was it Scherzer? Was Scherzer the last big Nimmo. deal? Nimmo. Nimmo was like, okay, so I guess that was good. Um, but that being said, though, <coughs> will still scare me. And like you said, they offered DeGrom, DeGrom something so that at least they could say that they offered DeGrom something. They offered Pete Alonso something. Are they willing to extend? I don't know. They're very weird about, and I'm not saying weird is the right word, but they're specific on who they offer those big contracts to. They offered Nemo the big contract. They didn't offer DeGrom. Are they going to overextend themselves on Alonzo? That's the, that's the toss-up. I don't well, know, and I'm scared by that. And I think what really makes it a wild card is the guy who's deciding it, because really it's David Stearns. The guy who's deciding it just walked through the door. He may not have decided it yet. Like he may be still kind of looking around, getting his bearings, saying, I'm not sure what I want to do with Pete Alonso. Because what he said at the press conference, you take with a grain of salt that the plan is for Pete to be the opening day first baseman in 2024. If the Mets know, as painful as this is, if David Stearns has decided, I don't want to pay this guy, whatever reason, as much as that drives me nuts, and trust me, we will crush them when the time comes. But if he's made that decision already, then you trade then there's no reason to let him play out the year. It just doesn't make any sense. So I would take it as if they go into next year with Pete being here, that would let me think, well, they have to have some interest in him coming back long-term because why else would you let this play out? Unfortunately, this is going to be a story that just doesn't go away. It's just, it's never, ever, ever going to go away. But yeah, him going to Scott Boris was a shock, man. I mean, I don't think any of us saw that one coming. No, and, and it, well, now the positive is 
we did see a different sport, but Daniel Jones changed his his agent last minute, and he ended up getting a, that four year deal with the Giants. So things things do happen. On the other hand, I do want to blame Billy Epler for this because he probably knew the, the the writing was on the wall that he's not going to be a big part of this franchise. Regardless, he went and shopped them around the trade deadline. If it wasn't for Billy, we wouldn't be in this mess. <laughs> Uh, the real mistake the Mets made, and I remember criticizing the Mets for this. I want to give you the exact moment I did it. It was actually after 2016. I thought they should extend Jake. Like, and, that, and the reason I say 2016 is 2016 was not his Cy Young year. 2016 was a very solid kind of averagey season for him. And I thought at the time, you know what? Buy out the next couple of years. Buy him out and get him locked up long-term. So what ended up happening is he ends up having the dominant Cy Young season. Then it becomes a debate, like, really, do you want to lock Jake up now coming off such a historical season? And they did, which I was thrilled about. And at the time, the Mets were criticized for, wow, if you did this a year earlier, you would have saved a lot of money. And then ironically, once his contract ran out, even with the injuries, you said, what a steal. Like It turned out to be a great deal. So what I mean by all that is, they missed their window to extend them. It needed to happen last offseason. Because when you're two years away from free agency, you're far enough away, like with Jeff McNeil, where you can get a deal done. You eliminate arbitration, you eliminate those battles, and you get the guy locked in on a contract that ends up being great for him because he's getting paid and really good for you. But the longer you wait on this, the more difficult it is. Like the contract they'd have to give Pete now to lock him up with only one year left before free agency is well north of $200 million. And I'm not sure if that needed to be the number if this was a year ago or even a year before that. I mean, you could have done this at any point. The Atlanta Braves, as much as we hate them, have made an art form of this. An art form. And some of it's gambles. But look, I'll give you an example right now, and it's going to seem like a crazy gamble, but this is what the Braves do. Ever think about locking up Francisco Alvarez right now? Like the risk attached to it is, well, what if he busts and now you're paying a guy $12 million a year? Yeah, but what if he hits? <laughs> then it's a steal. The Mets did this years and years ago with Wright and Reyes. They had them on team-friendly deals for a while. So the Mets, I think, messed up by not getting this done either last year or the year before that. But we'll follow it because the Pete Alonso thing is not going away. Now let's get to you, Hoff. I wake up this morning, I'm having a damn good morning, I'm feeling good, ready to come to work, bad tiki's returning, I'm all excited about that, and then I read a tweet, and I'd like to read this tweet from at Hoff, W-F-A-N. It says, the bloom is off the rose with the Steve Cohen era of the New York Mets. I want to make something very clear. If that was the entire tweet, cool. Like, I have no problem criticizing Steve Cohen. And there are a lot of ways you could take that. I mean, top of the podcast, we talked about all the executives that he's hired over the last couple of years. Fine. We just talked about Pete Alonzo and the missed opportunities there. Fine. So again, the bloom is off the rose with the Steve Cohen era of the New York Mets is fine. Now, you got to explain why you feel that way, but okay, fine. But then Pete crossed the line. Then Pete made a mistake. 
And I've seen all your emails at therecob at gmail.com. There are people that are so mad at you, they want you suspended from the podcast. And I was like, suspended? I mean, we can't do that. But listen to the last part of the listen to the last part of this tweet for those that didn't see it. I'm starting to feel like it's Will Pond 2.0. Pete, you can't say that. So before I kill you, because I will words with, I'm not going to actually kill you. Please explain yourself for this ignorant tweet. The the first part or the second part? Which one would you want me to explain first? Uh, the second, the first part, oh. whatever. The second part, it's Will Pond 2.0. Because here's the thing is, we want to kill the Will Ponds for never spending money and say they were cheap, right? They really weren't. They spent money a lot of times. They were cheap. Or they ended up cheaping out a lot at the uh, towards the tail end, especially with the Madoff stuff. But they would spend money. They would try to get high payrolls here and there. They just wouldn't spend it properly. And I'm sorry, but the first three seasons of Steve Cohen era, they made the playoffs once. They won 101 wins, which was great. They crapped the bed in the playoffs at the tail end of the season. And they've had two really bad, awful seasons because in those seasons, so much chaos has taken place. And it just reminds me of a very prior regime Mets team where so much nonsense was going on behind the scenes. And then with Billy Epler resigning, with Buck Showarp to getting sandbagged, all this stuff, it just feels like Steve Cohen lost control this last year. Okay, a couple of things. The Wilpons willingly let Zach Wheeler walk through that door. The Wilpons fired a manager off a win at 3 o'clock in the morning after letting him fly out to California, okay? Any comparison you want to make or any criticism you have about Steve Cohen and the Mets right now, like, it's fine to have him. This has not been a perfect ownership. We also can't live in this delusional world where everything's great and everything's amazing and everything's gold. Like, criticism is fine. But we need to ban the word Wilpon from your lips and from the world's lips. The only time we should ever use that word is to bemoan something they did that we're still feeling the effects of. Such as Zach Wheeler being a Philadelphia Philly. Like, we can bemoan that. But there's nothing about this owner that's cheap. Nothing. Like, letting DeGrom go is a philosophical difference that he turned out to be right about. Letting Pete Alonso go? will be about baseball and business. And as much as I may scream about it and call it unforgivable and it can't take another forever player away from us, it's not going to be because they're cheap. Like, I just read 20 minutes ago, well, we were doing the podcast, so 50 minutes ago, Yamamoto is going to get a, close to $200 million and executives expect that the New York Mets will have the highest bid. Two days ago, we read from Ken Rosenthal, it's expected for Shohei Otani that the Mets are going to have the highest bid. Jeff Passan a week earlier said, watch out for the Mets on Juan Soto. So let me get this straight. Juan Soto, Yamamoto, Otani, the Mets are in on all of these guys. The Mets also traded away $45 million a year pitchers who the Wilpons wouldn't have even dreamt of signing and bought off their contracts to acquire prospects. Like, yes, there are embarrassing things happening with the New York Mets. I give that to you. Yes, I'm angry about where we are with Pete Alonso. Absolutely. And yes, I'm not happy that they raised ticket prices. 
But this is nothing like the Wilpons. I will take all these bad Steve Cohen days over any day over the last 12 years in the post-Madoff Wilpon era. And it's it's either crazy to think that way or I don't know what the other option is. No, it's just crazy to think that way. <laughs> hold, hold on. I, I, let's let's stop with the what they're going to do in the offseason because the offseason hasn't really started yet. So I can't predict that, and I have a comment for that later. But so far, how much money has Steve Cohen spent, and what has it really gotten us? It, it, it just because you that's spend not the a point. Lot, but just because you spend a lot of money doesn't mean you're spending it well. That's, that's not the argument. Good. That's not the argument. That's part of it, though. No, it the, isn't the because Wilpons, the Wilpons didn't spend the money. But they, they did. They didn't spend it. They didn't spend it wisely. They would no, spend no, money. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. I want to correct you about something. If we're talking about the 2006 Wilpons, fine. But we're not. I said post-Madoff Wilpons, which is all they were for the last decade of their ownership. So, yes, they traded and signed Johan Santana. I acknowledge that. Yes, they signed Carlos Beltran and Pedro Martinez. I absolutely acknowledge that. And I used to, believe it or not, defend the Wilpons in that era of Met baseball. But that's <laughs> not the era we're talking about. Right. The last okay. decade after the Madoff scandal, the Mets were a middle-of-the-pack payroll team. They let Zach Wheeler walk through that door. They did not even bid on Bryce Harper. Didn't even bid on him. Didn't even bid on Manny Machado. Like, I love you. I'm not going to suspend you. You just have a stupid opinion. It's not like you're going to be suspended. But that is one of the dumbest things I've heard. Stop with any Wilpon. Compa- They're not the Wilpons in any way. That, okay, fine. Fine. Not the Wilpons. But going forward, just because we're in on people... The one other concern I have is we're not going to get all all of them. I get that. It's, not, it's, it's nice to be it's nice to be on them for a change, but that doesn't mean they're going to make the right move. And that's what concerns me. Still, I still don't believe that they've figured this out. And I have a worry that David Stearns is going to come here and he's going to turn into Heim Bloom because the first move that Heim Bloom made was to let or to trade away one of the best players in baseball in Mookie Betts. I'm not saying Pete Alonso is the best player in baseball. But if one of the first moves for David Stearns is to trade away one of your star players for prospects, I feel like it's already going to start off on a bad foot. Would you like to hear some emails of people mad at you or no? I mean, of course. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I'll read a couple of your emails on this impromptu Rico Bronia with all this Met news going on the last day. Uh, Ed writes, Hoff, come on, LOL. Ooh, he threw an LOL and means he's not that mad at you. Thank Come you. on, LOL, with this Wilpon 2.0 stuff. I don't know if Evan will call you out, so somebody has to. Well, first of all, Ed, of course I was going to call him out. I was going to do it on the Rico. I wasn't going to do it at 427 on Evan and Tiki, but here we go. So Ed Flood writes, how? Because there seems like a little instability, even though there's really not. I'm going to mention some people affiliated with the Mets and let us know if you would, if they would be there with the Wilpons. Okay, that's a fun game. Francisco Lindor. Would he be here if the Wilpons owned the team, Pete? Probably not. Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga, maybe. <laughs> that wasn't that bad of a deal. Five years, 75, that wasn't that bad of a deal. Okay. Th- Would they have the re-signed rate. Brandon uh, Nimmo long-term? No, not for that price. Okay. Would they have re-signed Edwin Diaz to the five-year deal? No. Okay. Would they have hired David Stearns for $10 million a year? No. Okay. Billy'd still be there. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it also says, also a decent farm system. Look up the roster from 2019. He made mistakes, but the fact we're even somewhat on the map for Otani, somewhat on the map for 25-year-old Yamamoto and a chance to outbid the Yankees, come on, Hall. Look, he's right. Your other concerns, here's the thing. Your other concerns about the, making the right moves and money doesn't win everything, yeah, you're right. But that's not what we're arguing with you about. You know what I mean? We're arguing with you for suggesting that this owner, as flawed as he may be, he's not perfect, is anything like the Wilpons. And I think Ed lays it out right. He just named a bunch of names that would not be here if the Wilpons owned the team. Okay, that's all fair. But let me just explain one thing, because uh, Evan, I think that you were one of the biggest Mets fans out there. I would like to consider myself one of the biggest Mets fans out there as well. Um, the one thing that still is lingering from the Wilpon era is a stench of what can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. It's always the Mets. Yeah. And that needs that's something that I think needs to get away. It needs to disappear. I agree. And it hasn't gone away yet. And that's something that, that <laughs> like Steve Steve Cohen has to work on somehow to get rid of that. Well, where where Ed, I disagree with Ed. The one part I disagree with him about is the stability. They have not had stability. That that's not true. It, it doesn't seem like they don't have stability. They haven't had it. I mean, Steve took over the team in late 2020. So it has now been right around 20 to 21. 20, 20. It's been three full years, which is not a crazy amount of time. Now, when you think about it, it's not that much time, but he's owned the team for about three full years. Just think about the executives. Think about that. Think about the managers. They're about to hire in the Cohen era, because he did retain Luis Rojas, a third manager. If you want to count the executives, I'll do it for you. Alderson. Porter, Scott, Epler, David Stearns. So that I disagree with is not stability. Both Randy and Philip bring up the same point I brought up earlier. Huh. Do you think Buck leaked <laughs> the IL investigation to Major League Baseball? Nah, of course. Sean writes, hey, Evan, I haven't felt this good about the Mets in a while. They got rid of people who have pretty bad track records in Billy Epler and Buck Showalter. Hear me out. Epler is a self-explanatory. Self-explanatory. Oh, Epler is self-explanatory. Like, he doesn't need to explain it. He's had no success anywhere and could not win with two of the greatest players in history. Showalter has one playoff series win in his 30 years in baseball and is outdated in terms of what success looks like as a manager. Now let's get to Hoffman. <laughs> comparing Cohen to the Wilpons, that's embarrassing. Picture this franchise right now with the Wilpons still in charge. Nah, Sean, we get it. We look, we all love Pete. He's a wonderful guy, but sometimes we say dumb things, and that's okay. You know what I attribute it to? I'm going to defend my man. Pete's very tired. He's been working a lot lately. He's been traveling around with the Giants, who's a terrible football team. Oh. He's sleeping on my beautiful couch. Not my couch, my... uh. Massage, Massage chair. chair. Thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, I mean, listen, man. It's a, it's a tough time. I, I am very tired. I will say that. I acknowledge <laughs> that. Dan writes, war. Pete signing with Boris is an absolute declaration of war from his camp. He has been isolated and jerked around since the trade deadline, and I can just feel this ending in disaster. Anyone bringing up that Boris was Nimmo's agent and he resigned doesn't understand that these two are not even in the same stratosphere. 
He's now going to be leading negotiations of one of the premier sluggers in baseball and someone that could and should be the face of the franchise and probably becomes his top priority client that he won't be happy with being lowballed. I know we have mended fences with him since Cohen took over, but I'm afraid if the Mets dig their feet in and continue playing these games with Boris at the helm, it could be the thing that sours the relationship again. It's about money. That's it. If they want to re-sign him right now, if they don't want to even deal with free agency and the risk of what happened with Aaron Judge, they're going to have to offer him close to $250 million. They're going to have to come to the ballpark with, what does eight years 250 get you? And by the way, years-wise, he's going to be 29 years old for the start of next season, so it's not even that crazy, but 250 divided by eight, $31 million a year. I think that gets it done. I really do. So would the Mets come out and make an eight-year, $250 million offer? I think if they do that, they've got a really decent chance to get this thing done. If not, here's the risk, and and there's a risk for both sides. We make this assumption that Pete Alonso will have a historical Aaron Judge year. That's not an automatic in a free agent year. Aaron Judge did it, and it's good for him, but that's not an automatic. Like, Cody Bellinger is fascinating to me, right? Cody Bellinger in his free agent year last year sucked. Cody Bellinger in his free agent year this year, amazing. Like, there's no science to this. So what if? Let's play the what if game. Well, what if Pete Alonso brings his batting average back up to maybe his career numbers or a little bit higher, and hits 270 and hits 59 home runs and drives in 150 runs? Well, guess what? He's going to get a mega, mega contract because all Scott Boris needs is one team and one team will do it. But then you got to ask yourself another question. What if Pete has a bad year? You know, what if Pete's average is the same as it was this year and he starts to press over it being a contract year and instead of hitting 45 home runs, he hits 33 home runs, right? Like not the worst, worst season in the world, but not his best season. What happens then? So, We don't know what kind of year he's going to have going into free agency. And that's going to dictate a lot. Like, we can't just assume it's going to play out like Judge. Now, obviously, if he's here, we want it to, because that means he had a great year. (laughs) And that means the Mets have a better chance to win. So this has become a financial battle. It always was. But any idea of a hometown discount is completely gone. Jose from Charlotte writes, I'm worried. After reading that Post article stating that Billy and Epler was at odds with Buck because Buck wanted to bench Daniel Vogelback, but Billy Epler refused. We all blamed Buck for having Vogel crap in the lineup, and now we find out it was Billy the entire time. Yikes. As I'm writing this, I now see on Twitter that Pete Alonso has hired Scott Boris as his agent. Damn, the season has ended, but why do I have a bad feeling about this offseason? dude that's what i'm saying like this is something that the old regime i'll just say that i'll say that the old regime that that feel it doesn't feel like it should be with the steve cohen era that's what i'm saying right now and that's got to change this should not be a thing we should be listen let's put it this way there are plenty of teams out there that want to pete alonzo i'll name one team that has been named yet the san francisco giants They've been dying for a star player all since last year. They they missed out on Correa. They missed out on Aaron Judge. Are you telling me that they're not going to overpay for Pete Alonso if he, they have a chance to? James writes, 
I had to pause today's episode. I guess that was the episode we posted yesterday or the day before that. I forget. I had to pause the episode to write you guys after hearing Evan say, quote, I can't imagine why any Mets fan would dislike the Brewers. Ooh. Yeah. Evan, the Brewers ownership has done nothing but kick dirt in Steve Cohen's face and nip at his heels over the last few years. They denied permission for him to interview David Stearns, resulting in a three-year wait. Fine. They denied permission for him to interview any of his assistant GMs for promotions to GM or president of baseball operations after that. Matt Arnold was the guy, which is a break from industry norms. The owner there has made comments about resenting big markets and the attention and money they make relative to his team and has said that he is not interested in doing favors for big market clubs when it comes to hiring front office executives and granting permission. And last but certainly not least, the Brewers leaked a fraudulent Pete Alonso trade rumor to the media to inflame the fan base in direct retribution for the Mets hiring David Stearns. I have no interest in them in seeing them win a thing this year and don't understand why they seem to be a popular inoffensive pick amongst Met fans. Wow, Pete likes that. Hoff likes that. That's my man. That's my man. Brewers are numero uno on my shit list these days. Yeah, I I think... The reason, and I'm only speaking for myself here, James, and it's, it's a great point. And obviously the thing about liking and hating these teams, it's, it's whatever the hell we want. You know, it's whatever as individuals we hate and like. All of that's true. All of it, I kind of understand. Like it's business. Like I get why Anastasio, Antanasio, however you say his name. I understand why I didn't want David Sterns to interview for the job. I get it. I understand why I didn't want Matt Arnold to interview for the job, even if it was against the norms of Major League Baseball. Like, I kind of get it. But I think the real reason why the Brewers are inoffensive to me is because of everybody else. The Philadelphia Phillies are offensive to me. The Atlanta Braves are offensive to me. The L.A. Dodgers and all the winning they've done, they're offensive to me. So a lot of it, and like, look, the Diamondbacks are inoffensive as well. I I agree. Like, there's nothing there with Arizona. They're both just inoffensive whatever teams. But in the National League, where we have all these rivals, I'm looking for someone who I'm not offended by to get to the World Series. So I think a part of why I don't have that hatred for Milwaukee is that they're not the Phillies, and they're not the Braves, and there's so many teams I already dislike in the National League that I got to pick a couple of teams that don't bother me. And right now, think about it. If you don't like the Dodgers, which I know a lot of older Met fans feel that way about going back to 1988, and I certainly feel that way to a degree, between the Dodgers, Braves, and Phillies, we're stuck with the Diamondbacks. That's it. That's our hope. We're stuck with the freaking Diamondbacks. It's all we got. Anyhow, we appreciate your writing and appreciate you listening to Rico Bronia. We will do an episode, another one, coming up in a couple of days, kind of recapping what went wrong with the 2023 season. And also, any other news that hops up, because it's certainly been a very busy couple of days in Mets land. That's why we decided late Thursday night for your Friday morning, Friday afternoon listening to do a one-hour Rico Bronya podcast, because there's so much going on. I've realized, Pete, that the last month and a half of the regular season, when you really think about it, was just a drain. And it's so much easier now to talk about it with the season over. Like, there's just so much more. (laughs) Well, everything's breaking now. All these rumors are coming out. All this dirty laundry is coming out. It's it's beautiful. This is going to be a great offseason for us. 
It is. Oh, man. I'm putting my off-season plan together, by the way. Can't wait for that episode. You got to do that, too. Your full-fledged off-season plan, and then we'll see if David Stearns follows it, because I hear he's a big listener to the Rico Brony. Let's yet, go. At least. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. You can email the pod to RicoB at gmail.com. Obviously, Pete producing the midday show, 10 a.m. on the fan. I'll be on with Tiki every day, well, Monday through Friday, 2 o'clock on the fan. Thanks for listening to Rico Brody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.